We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. NBA podcast. It is Tuesday, October 11th. Nick Whalen here with DJ Trainer. We have a wonderful surprise today. Rather than the two of us blabbering about the NBA, we have a guest, KL Shenard of Hawks.com, was kind enough to take some time to sit down with us. We discussed the Dwight Howard signing, expectations for the rookies, DeAndre Bembry and Torian Prince, the change at point guard, and just the general direction of this Hawks team going forward. Kale was great. Uh, he's around the team a ton. He has a great feel for how things are going to go for the Atlanta Hawks this year. So we'll kick it to that interview right away. All right, so we are now pleased to welcome on KL Shenard of Hawks.com. KL uh, is a former colleague of mine at Bucksketball on the True Hoop Network. Uh, KL, this is your second year now writing with the Hawks? Um, I started with a half season, so I, I had one and a half seasons coming into this season. Okay, sure, sure. So how was that, the, uh, the experience of writing for a team site? Um, you know, obviously having better access, being able to see everything on a day-to-day basis. Uh, how has that been compared to blogging where everything is done a little bit more from afar? Um, you know, I really like it. One of the things I like about Atlanta in terms of covering the Hawks is that it's not overly saturated. 
it's it's not going to be the wrestling match that that covering the Warriors might be. So we get good we get good interaction with the players, and pretty much you know if there's something we want to talk about, we can go and get it usually. Sure. Um, has there been a player that you know, whether it was on the roster last year, or this year, someone who's who's still here from maybe last year's roster who you've uh, enjoyed interviewing the most? There are a few. Um, a lot of the bench players going back to Peron Teach. Dennis Schroeder's usually good. He's you know he's not afraid to say what he feels. Um, Tabo Cephalosha the same way. So those are a few of the really good interviews on the Hawks. I think. Man, Ancic, I, I forgot about that guy. I forgot he's out of the league. I miss him already. I saw that uh, Dwight Howard was doing a little bit of the interviewing for you, KL. I mean, are you afraid for your job? Do you think your job security is, is all right? You never know. I mean, he's got he's got a lot of gears, and the, the interesting thing is, you know, he can he can be, you know, entertaining and funny, and you know, they were asking him about the anthem yesterday, and he switched gears, and he was sharp as a tack, so... He definitely could do my job, but I think fortunately he's busy enough that he doesn't want it. Yeah, I mean, we'll get we'll get more into Dwight uh, a little bit later. But what have your what have your initial impressions been of Dwight Howard? You know, obviously, I think the, a lot of the outside perception is he's kind of a clown. He's a guy that you know would would certainly go and interview a teammate at media day. Uh, but for a lot for a lot of people, I think he's been criticized uh, for that. But have you been able to kind of see both sides? You know, the fun loving Dwight as well as the the hard working Dwight. Well, my first impression is that his shoulders are bigger than my head. So that was impression number one. Uh, you know, impression number two is that he seems to have imparted his, you know, fun-loving attitude on the team. On media day, Kyle Korver said something to the effect of that he thought this team would be a little more expressive than last year's team. He called last year's team steady, and he said that, you know, Steadiness was good in a lot of ways, but at other times it wasn't good. And he thought this team would be more expressive, and he thought there might be a little bit more highs and lows. And, you know, he, he sounded like he was looking forward to trying it out. I'm not really sure <laughs> if, you know, if that's a great thing or not, but, but we'll see. All right, so this Hawks team last year that, that you just mentioned, they finished 48-34, and 34, uh, 14 games over 500. Their Vegas over-under going into last season was 50 and a half. The 2016-17 Hawks Vegas over/under set at 43 and a half. Uh, to you, is that a fair assessment? I mean, is this team really five or six wins worse uh, than last year's? It's probably fair. I mean, I think that what we have in this team is a lot of unknowns. Um, there's a lot of variability in, in what could happen to the Hawks this season. So, you know, with that type of potential deviation from what they've had in past seasons, it's really hard to predict what they'll be like this season. Right, yeah, 43 and a half wins essentially wouldn't have gotten them into the playoffs last year, so I think they are they might be could be on the cusp uh of making the playoffs altogether. Um yeah, I mean one thing that I'm obviously the main thing when you look at this Hawks team is essentially switching out Al, Al Horford for Dwight Howard in terms of how the team dynamic is going to play out. I mean those are guys are centers obviously, but in the way they play, completely different. Um, do you think that Budenhoser is going to switch up a lot of the offensive dynamic, or how do you see this changing of a guard from the center position, Kale? I think they want to run more pick and roll. When you talk to Mike Budenhoser about it, he says that he thinks that they'll be able to put more pressure on the rim this season. He Going into last season, they added Tiago Splitter and Eddie Tavares, 
And, you know, going into last season, Budenholzer was saying something to the effect of he thought that those two guys could add more pressure on the rim. And, you know, Splitter only played half the season and he wasn't really healthy when he did play. Tavares, you know, was a rookie coming over from Europe. So neither one of those really had that impact where they put pressure on the rim. And so they didn't really get what they wanted out of those two players on offense. Now they've got Howard, and it's a pretty fair bet that they will be able to put pressure on the rim. And I think what they want is, you know, they want to be able to run pick and roll plays where they bring a third defender, where the other team has to help and take away what Howard can do at the rim so that they can kick it out to perimeter shooters for three-pointers and things like that. The trick is is that, you know, in Horford, when they did those types of plays, they knew that they had an outstanding passer and a player who wasn't going to turn the ball over hardly ever. With Howard, you know, teams really are going to have to react to take away what the player wasn't turn hardly ever. Howard, you really are asking what he can do with the rim, but then the question is, you know, if a third defender comes into the play, does the ball get where it needs to go and things like that? So, you know, it's it's some trade-off. Um, I don't think they felt that Horford was the best at, at putting pressure on the rim, that you kind of defend that pick and roll. Two players and kind of cling to Corver and cling to some of the other shooters. So there's some trade off there, and it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out on offense. What was your take on the overall decision to sign Dwight Howard? And, you know, we just talked about what, what kind of a polarizing player he's grown into uh, in NBA circles over the last few years. Um, you know, obviously, without Horford leaving, they had a major, major void. Uh, at the center position. Was Dwight Howard the right choice to fill that? Or do you think there was maybe someone else out there or or another course of action that would have maybe been more beneficial, both in the short term and the long term? I mean, I think you kind of have to take it in the context of the sequence in which it happened. They were still trying to get Horford when they signed Howard. I mean, I think the thinking was, you know, let's get who we can get and hopefully we won't come up empty on both counts. I don't think they wanted to lose Horford and not be able to get somebody you know, of high quality replacement. So they signed Howard first and they were still trying to get Horford. So you might think they would have been okay signing both Howard and Horford and then maybe looking to make some transactions from there on out. I mean, I think, you know, you have to or go ahead. Oh, so, I mean, I think what they were really trying to do was, you know, they were looking at, you know, Horford was a free agent in 2016. Millsap can opt out and be a free agent in 2017. And I think they wanted to not lose the essential pieces of their core, you know, in a span of a little over 12 months. So they felt like if they got Howard, you know, they got at least one foundation piece as they tried to keep those other players. Obviously, every, all the attention is going to be on Howard, but you mentioned him earlier, Eddie Tavares. I'm really intrigued by him. Seven foot three, about 260 pounds. Last year, only played in 11 games, averaged just under seven minutes per game. But I look at somebody like Rudy Gobert, just a great frame, good defensive mind. And he had a similar rookie season where he was bouncing back and forth between the D League. Do you think that there's that type of jump in pending for Tavares? Obviously, Gobert is, is, is pretty darn good. But do you think there's a, there's a lot more in store for Tavares than just the 11 games we saw from him last season? I do and I don't. It's tricky because, you know, if you look at the Hawks camp roster, you know, it's 20 players, but really it's 16 who have, you know, a substantial amount of guaranteed money. And it's hard figuring out of the 16 players, which 15 they might keep. You know, Tavares could potentially not be on the roster when it starts, but at the same time, you know, he's looked really good you know, in, in practices and in, in the, you know, five-on-five scrimmage that the team ran. He's 
he's the kind of player that really can be a Gobert type player on defense. You know, he has that size, that length that to really mess things up around the rim. But at the same time, you know, the Hawks have Splitter coming back. They signed Chris Humphreys, and so it's hard to figure out who they're going to keep on the roster and who is going to be the backup center behind Howard. I'm not really sure that they know at this point. I'm interested. They haven't played a preseason game, so I'm interested to see, you know, over the course of the next couple of weeks, you know, who's the first center off the bench behind Dwight Howard. Um, Splitter won't play tonight. Uh, This is Thursday behind Howard because he's got a hamstring injury. So it could be that Tavares is the first center off the bench behind Howard. And uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how he'll play. He's, he's not an elegant player on offense. You know, he has kind of the effect on the game where he messes up the other team's offense and he makes things a little bit harder for the Hawks on offense too. But, uh, you know, there's some trade off and it might be worth it because I think he can be a really impact defender. So the Hawks, uh, looking at the point guard position, they moved Jeff Teague before the draft, ended up getting the number 12 pick from Utah uh, in that three-way deal. George Hill uh, ended up in uh, with the Jazz. The 12 pick turned into Torian Prince. Um, they also grabbed DeAndre Bembry later in the first round, 21st overall out of St. Joe's. Uh, how, how big a role do you see either of these guys having, uh, either of these rookies in year one? I think Prince is probably a little bit ahead of Bembry at this point. He's bigger. He has, you know, he could potentially fill a role that they don't necessarily have on the roster, which is sort of a big, small forward defender. Uh, they have Cephalosha, but Prince is really, you know, bigger and more substantial and can, you know, use his size to leverage against some of the bigger, small forwards in the league. So, you know, it's really tricky. I don't think Bembry necessarily has the same chance of getting to the rotation that Prince does because he's smaller. I don't think his jump shot is as far ahead as Prince's is at this point. But Prince has a long road ahead of him too to get into the rotation just because I think the Hawks wings are in a much better place than they were 12 months ago. Uh, at the start of last season, Corver was coming back from you know a pretty serious injury. Cephalosha obviously coming back from a pretty serious injury. And Tim Hardaway Jr. had you know, sort of an underreported arm wrist injury that he had coming into the season. So the, the Hawks' wings were in a bad place this time last year, and right now they all look really, really good. Uh, you know, Cephalosha looks like he's worked on his jump shot, and Hardaway sort of looks like Superman when you look at his sort of shoulder-to-waist ratio. He's just absolutely massive and completely ripped. So I don't know if Prince can can get ahead of those two players as sort of the backup wings, but... You know, just based on his size and the fact that he can be a defender, and I think he's starting to get that jump shot, you know, he's going to have a shot at it. Let's talk about Tim Hardaway real quick since you brought him up. Um, obviously, three years in the league, maybe hasn't met expectations yet. That said, I'm not sure what his expectations really were to begin with with that Knicks team. Two years with the Knicks, now one season under his belt with Atlanta. Only played 51 games last year, averaged just under 17 minutes per game you said he looks good earlier this week he said his confidence back it sounds like you're buying it so what are you expecting from him his confidence is back and it seems like you're buying into it too KL I am I I think that um, you know going back to the 60 win season the Hawks have been looking for someone who can step in and be a backup to Kyle Korver and play in the style of Kyle Korver um you know, in the 60-win season, it was sort of Bazemore, but Bazemore just has a totally different type game than Corver does. Last season, it was Hardaway, but Hardaway had a real rough 
first half of the season. And then he got in a nice groove in the second half when he got healthier and he got more experience. When you look at the Hawks over the last few seasons, you know, they've picked up some wing players and it's been the second season where they've made a leap. You know, for Damari Carroll, it was his second season when he really caught on. For Bazemore, it was his second season when he really caught on. Um, Hardaway had an injury coming into last season. He was new to the program. He was sort of working on all sorts of fronts all at once. And I think, you know, he's got a focused opportunity here in his second season. He knows what he's supposed to do. He knows what's expected of him. And I think he'll do it. Budenholzer said that of all the players this summer, he thought, you know, Tim Hardaway and Mike Muscala had the best summers just in terms of what they were able to do to get themselves ready for this season. So you mentioned the backups to Kyle Corvery, Hardaway obviously being uh, someone that they're depending on. But how much does this team need Kyle Corver to be healthy and play, you know, at least close to the level that he was at two seasons ago? And he turns 36 in March, so I don't know really how realistic that is at this point. But you know, as a player who doesn't necessarily rely on on quick movement or you know hyper athleticism, uh, his game has aged pretty well, a lot better than you know than some players who who do rely on that athleticism. But last season. Uh, 44% shooting from the field, 39% from three, still a very respectable mark. But when you compare it to his numbers from two years ago, you know, he's down just about 10 percentage points from beyond the arc. So do they need him to fall maybe somewhere between the 49% he shot from three in 2014-15 and the 39% last season? Yeah, they do. He's their most unique player. And, you know, he might be the reason, he might be the most important reason for their success over the last couple of seasons. Um, when when he struggles, it seems like the team struggles. And when he does well, it seems like the team does well. Uh, at the beginning of last season, things were pretty rough for him as he was coming back from, uh, you know, from a couple of leg injuries uh, over the summer. So, you know, at the beginning of last season, he was struggling with his three-point shot. He was, you know, tinkering with a lot of long two-point shots to just try to get some feel and some rhythm to what he was doing out there. Um, you know, he had no such problems this summer, you know, this summer was about training and not about rehab. And, you know, at the beginning of camp this season, he, he remarked on how good of a change that was. So, you know, I'm ex- you know, obviously age is a factor at this point, but, you know, I'm expecting him to have uh, a better season than he did last year. And, you know, looking at what he did last season, if you look at what happened after the All-Star break, he had the third, but, third best plus minus Uh, rating in the NBA after the All-Star break uh, behind Steph Curry and Draymond Green. So, you know, I think that if he can just kind of take what he was doing in that second half and roll it over, he should be fine. It's so funny. I've always said that Paul Millsap, we've gone this far and we haven't even really mentioned Paul Millsap, that he's one of the more underrated players in the entire league. Um, You can argue that he's been the heart and soul of this team over the last few years. He has a player option coming up in the next in the next year here. Also, Schroeder has a rookie. He's entering the final year of his rookie deal. We know Howard is locked up for three years. What is the long term plan here? Millsap has been, you know, like I said, the heart and soul. But if he leaves, uh, what what does Atlanta have on the horizon? Well, you know, they have a remarkable number of. Um, you know, if you look at the number of players who can opt out and the number of players who are set to be free agents next summer, you know, it's probably on the order of 10 or 11 players. Um, so, you know, in terms of what they have signed long term, they have Schroeder and Howard. And, you know, that's a pretty potent combination just in terms of rebounding. I think they can both be 
you know, plus defenders. You know, I think the one question that you have uh, looking at those two players together is do defenses sort of play back and just sit behind that pick and roll? Um, and so in that way, it becomes really important that Schroeder – has uh, has a good season shooting wise. You know he's been working on his jump shot for the past couple of years, and it's gradually gotten better and better. But they really need him to be able to penalize defenses that play under screens when he uses the pick and roll game with Howard. So those are the two players that are going to be around long term, and it's really hard to predict. You know who they will sign. You know a year from now, it's uh, they're going to have an uh, an unbelievable number of free agents, and so it's kind of a kind of a quandary trying to figure out who's actually going to be here a year from now right I mean they should have plenty of cap room the thing about the Hawks is they've been so good you know over these last eight or nine years I mean they've been a playoff team every year uh, since 2007-2008 and um, you know they've kind of this is something we used to talk about you know with the Bucks. they're kind of Mm -hmm. always in that range where you know if you're in the playoffs the best you're going to be picking in the draft is 15th um, you know barring any kind of trade scenario so they've kind of in a lot of ways, they've they've kind of avoided uh, you know the high upside prospects. You look at you look at Miami, a team that's kind of in flux right now. A few veterans on that roster, but then you still have a guy like Justice Winslow, who you kind of see as the long term asset. Uh, you know the Hawks have done a good job. I think you look at a guy like Schroeder, you know, in building through the draft with later first round picks. But uh, I think it's a, it's a little bit of a curse to to make the playoffs every year, not quite be able to get over the hump, uh, and then you know at the same time you're kind of taking yourself out of the running for those really high upside, you know, superstar potential draft picks. I agree. And that, you know, I think that's why it was important for them this off season that they got Torian Prince, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of felt a lot, you know, it's a horrible comparison in terms of putting pressure on a young player, but it's kind of smacks of the Kawhi Leonard trade, right? Where they, you know, the, the Spurs, uh, the Spurs traded Hill to the Pacers to get that pick that ended up being Kawhi Leonard. And it's sort of the same spot in the draft. It's, uh, you know, the same type of player. It's sort of a a wing shutdown player who still has the potential to be pretty good on offense. And so I think, you know, they're hoping that, that Torian Prince can be a a player in that mold. And so this, he's really going to be the highest, the highest uh, caliber draft pick that they've had in a while. And I think they have high hopes for him. And so even though they have such a deep wing rotation, it's going to be interesting to see whether they incorporate him right away or not. Um, We talked about the Jeff Cheague trade uh, a little bit already, but did you feel that this was a situation where they simply wanted to clear the way for Dennis Schroeder or maybe that they'd felt that they kind of hit their ceiling as a team with Jeff Teague running the show? I think it was a little bit of both. I think, you know, if you look at the whole of last season, Schroeder was a better defender and he's younger. And ultimately, I think the biggest factor in all of it is that they were set to become free agents in the same summer. Mm -hmm. And so if you have two starting quality point guards who are going to be free agents in the same summer, you know, you can't realistically pay a whole bunch of money to the players that play the same position unless you're the Bucks and you really like your centers. Come on, that was uncalled for. (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, but no, that is a good point. I mean, I think at least you look at it as if they're both hitting free agency next summer, you know, you can only choose one essentially, and you might as well get something for Teague. Well, you can. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, to me, I think this team, it's, it was a nice run with Teague, you know, and you get to the conference finals, um, you know, you're, you're getting the conference semifinals and I think they just kind of saw what was in front of them in Cleveland and, and figured they had to have a decision to be made. But, 
Um, like DJ brought up earlier going forward, I mean, you have Ken Bazemore as part of this core as well, but I mean, is the plan to, to kind of continue to draft well in the middle of the draft and, and try to make a splash in free agency one of these next couple summers? I think so. I mean, I think you can see them and what they did this past summer that, you know, they drafted Torian Prince, they drafted Bembry, uh, they drafted a young kid from France, Isaiah Cordinier. And so you see them drafting wings. I think they realize that, you know, if you look at the landscape of the NBA, it's really hard to acquire talent through free agency or trades when it comes to the wings at this point, that it might be a little bit easier to get a center or maybe get a point guard. So, you know, I think they're going to continue to try to grow talented wing players that that fit Budenholzer's scheme and so I think that's a you know a big part of their plan you know Corver's going to be 36 uh, in the not too distant future Um, so I mean I think that you know the plan is to try to make sure that they have you know competent skilled players that fit the system on the wing and you know get what they can in the other places from there and you see that you know they got Howard he can be their center for the next few years. You know, potentially they can resign Schroeder, and he can be the point guard. And then it's just a matter, you know, fitting in acceptable pieces around those those players. All right, KL. I can't believe it's taken me this long to ask you. Uh, Atlanta rolled out new jerseys last year. They call them next generation jerseys. You got the red, you got the white, you got the black. I'm just a little bit curious in terms of in Atlanta, how are they being received? I know nationally, you know, some people can take them or leave them. Obviously, they're trying to get a little more trendier. But uh, what do you think about the new jerseys? Um, You know, I think that they're doing pretty well. I was at a high school football game, you know, a week or two ago, and it seemed like there were more kids wearing Hawks things than were wearing, you know, Atlanta Braves gear or Atlanta Falcons gear, which if, you know, if you went to a store would surprise you because you don't really see Hawks things on the shelves. Uh, You see the Braves stuff and the Falcons stuff out and not the Hawks stuff so much. So I was surprised to see that many kids wearing it. Um, But the big thing is that when you look at the, the Hawks jerseys with that triangular pattern on them, you just you have to buy the real thing. You absolutely cannot buy the fake stuff because it just stands out like a sore thumb when you see the the triangles on the fake jersey. The contrast is just way way off. So if you buy the cheap knockoff, you're gonna look like a clown. So you're telling me that this is just like the U.S. Treasury and that they're putting these little fancy stamps on there, so it's it's really easy to decipher a fake. It's it's possible if you want to get to that kind of conspiratorial level that that could have been a motivating factor behind it for sure. Yeah, we'll have to do some digging into that. I never really thought of it that way, but that that is a good point. I mean, those replica jerseys obviously never look quite right, and when you have a, a pattern that's that elaborate, I guess it's only uh, exacerbated. So, in terms of starters, the Hawks are pretty much set at all five positions. You got Howard, Millsap, Bazemore, Corver, and Schroeder. There's some depth, you know, on the wing, like you just talked about with Bembry, uh, Cephalosha, and Prince. But what do you look at as the most vulnerable position on this roster heading into the season? It might be the backup power forward spot and the backup point guard spot. I think they'll be in a good place with Mike Scott as the backup power forward. But if Millsap, you know, misses a couple of games here and there, then it gets a little bit trickier because then when you start looking at who might be the the third power four, then you're getting into Mike Muscala, who who should be a good player, but maybe hasn't done it that much over the last couple of years, so it's hard to say for sure. And then backup point guard's a little bit interesting, um, just because they've got a couple of players. They've got Malcolm Delaney, who they signed, uh, you know, from Europe, from the Russian team, uh, Lokomotiv Kuban. 
and they got Jarrett Jack. And Jarrett Jack's coming back from an Achilles injury. He's not really going to be playing in preseason games right off the bat here. So, you know, they've got two point guards, one who hasn't played in the NBA before. And so, you know, it's a little bit of a question mark. But I really think Delaney's going to be a good player. Um, you know, he, he can really do all things. You know, he can play defense. He can shoot. He can, you know, drive to the rim to create contact and get to the free throw line. So, you know, if it really shouldn't be a problem, but it's just a question mark, I think, in terms of Delaney and Jack, just because they haven't been here and they haven't necessarily developed that track record with the Hawks yet. Yeah, I mean, Delaney's a guy I liked a lot at the college level at Virginia Tech. Good size for the position. He's played well overseas, uh, which is where he's been these last few years after leaving Tech. But Jared Jack, I think, is is about as solid as it gets as a veteran backup. But the knee injury, you know, coming off of a torn ACL does concern me uh, a little bit. Um, I mean, Dennis Schroeder is going to be seeing huge minutes regardless, right? I mean, I think he was in the low 20s last year. I mean, do you expect him to be up in the, you know, the low to mid 30s? It depends. Um, you know, I think Delaney's the kind of player who might get extra minutes if he can prove that he's a better shooter than Schroeder is. Um, you know, like I said before, Schroeder's shooting is going to be really, really important for this team. You know, they need defenses to respect that shot so that a lot of what they do can work. And, you know, if Delaney can make more jump shots than, than Schroeder early in the season, it won't necessarily be that Delaney will replace Schroeder, but I, I think it might keep Schroeder from, from seeing those massive amounts of minutes that you were talking about. Yeah, one of the things I like about UKL is I followed you for a, a couple of years now on Twitter before um, before we're talking here today, and you're not shy about tweeting about other teams in the league, which I like. You know, you're you're Hawks guy, you write for the Hawks on NBA.com, but by no means does that restrict you on Twitter. Uh, you know, you sat down the other day, had some alphabets, saw an ominous message in the alphabets. Warriors blew a three-one lead in the finals. I'm just curious, uh, are we going to see any more alphabets messages in your in your serial coming up this season? It's possible. Uh... I'll try not to say any mean things about the Bucks because I don't want to hurt Nick's feelings, though. Yeah, watch it. You're on thin ice already. <laughs> yeah, we have a whole committee here to like make sure he doesn't hear any mm. bad, you know, box scores. We got to keep him out of the yeah. way. Um, it's it's a very fragile situation here in the office. No, I mean, you, you've given us a lot of a lot of good Hawks insight. We'll move away from that a little bit. Um, speaking of the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, a team that I that I watched on, I believe it was Monday night, take care of the Chicago Bulls in the preseason. They looked a little bit better than I expected. Obviously, you don't want to put much stock into preseason games at all. But, um, I mean, the, the big news this preseason has been that the Chris Middleton injury. Um, as someone who follows the league as a whole, as I know you do, KL, are the Bucks? are you ready to rule them out of playoff contention without Chris Middleton? No, I think they can make the playoffs. I just think it's going to be really hard for them to make the playoffs comparatively. I think they would have been almost a lock for the playoffs if they had Middleton. Um, really? Yeah, I, I I think, you know, with Giannis having another year experience, Jabari having another year of experience, I think, you know, they would have been a little bit freer this season if things don't go well with Monroe to play him less if if they thought it wasn't working out, given that, you know, he might not be back next year. So I I think it would have been almost a lock that they made the playoffs at Middleton, and now I think it's going to be that much harder. Hey, uh, uh, come on. I mean, I have to deal with the Milwaukee Bucks homerism as it is. I thought having a third party on here, we you know could settle some debates, but 
I don't know. I, I think they're going to be in trouble. I think they're going to be in the bottom, and they would have had trouble even with Middleton. I mean, they had a lot of issues in terms of spacing and that weren't necessarily just going to go away and evaporate coming into this year. I get the experience argument, but I don't, I don't know. I guess I'm just not sold as, as you and Nick are on this Bucks team as they mature and grow. Hey, I, I, for the record, I am not sold on this Bucks team. I, I think no one, no one's arguing that that Giannis and, and Jabari Parker are the two best assets for this team. But um, you could make an argument that Chris Middleton was maybe the most important player yeah. for this rotation for this 2016-17 season alone. I mean, um, this team was the, you know the worst volume three-point shooting team in the NBA last season. You take away the guy who accounted for for more of that volume than anybody. Uh, last year and all of a sudden now you're, you're relying that much more on Mirza Toledovic that much more on Matthew Della Vidova which you know maybe those won't be bad things we'll see um, but but I, I don't the Bucks to me were a, a very borderline playoff team with Middleton and uh, I think they're going to kind of have to scratch and claw their way to get anywhere near the eighth seed now barring some some massive improvements on the part of Antetokounmpo and Parker um, going back to the Hawks real quickly do they extend the playoff streak to to 10 years I think so. I mean, it's it's hard to see them not making the playoffs if you know if Corver is healthy for a full season. It's weird, but that that it would be Corver. But I think it's almost the same reasoning as as Middleton. I think there's a good comparison to be made between those two players. That they're really the ones that sort of stretch the offense. You know, I, they're really the ones whose skills aren't duplicated on the roster. That when you look down the roster after them, you don't really see a player who can come in and do the same kind of thing that they did. So I think if Corver's healthy for a full season, it's almost a lot that the Hawks will make the playoffs because they'll have enough rebounding. They'll have enough defense and ball movement. They just need to make sure that they have their one true offensive shooting threat out there. And, and if Corver's healthy for a full season, I, I feel like the Hawks are, are a lot to make the playoffs. All right, non-Hawks related, what are you most interested about heading into this new season? What am I most interested in heading into this season? Obviously, that is lots and lots to pick from, but I mean, there has to be something that you you know you're just excited. We've talked about it. We've waited. You're just ready to see it in action. I'm ready to see quite what a disaster the Knicks will be. Oh, okay. I do not think that that team is going to pan out. I I think that uh, the Noah. I think that the Noah is a nice fit for the triangular type things that they might want to do in New York. I think Derrick Rose is quite possibly the worst player they could have fit into that system with those, that personnel. I just, I don't see Rose fitting in there at all. Um, so, you know, if he's going to be a substantial part of what they do and you kind of mix in the New York media, you mix in his legal problems. And I just think that that could go south really, really fast. I mean, is there anywhere where Derrick Rose fits? anymore i think to me it's like he just kind of seems destined to end up on the kings at some point that would be a logical place for him to end up i have to agree um all right we'll wrap this up uh just a couple more questions uh over under 70 wins for the warriors we gotta ask i would say under i don't think that that's necessarily their main goal so you know i think they'll be resting the players more than they did i I think they had some uncertainty in terms of their training and their health and fitness staff sure um you know after the the championship season their core of of health and fitness people came to the hawks and they got a new crew last season and they kind of had some turnover in that group coming into this season 
I think, you know, they'll take the long view of things and, you know, err on the side of resting their players as opposed to playing them every game. So, I, you know, I think you'll see a lot of players play, you know, 72, 73 games and, and get eight, nine, ten games off here or there. So, you know, with that factored in, you know, I, I think that they'll kind of take their foot off the gas pedal and win, win fewer than 70. Nick and I on this podcast have been known to talk about hairstyles far, far too often. But I saw you tweet about the other day, so I think it's a fair question to ask you. Which hairstyle do you like better, Schroeder's gold dyed spot on upper left of of his head, or JaVale McGee's rat tail situation? That is a terrible question. That's that's not. Those aren't even in the same world. Uh, Schroeder's gold spot is just fine, and whatever JaVale has going on is really not in a good place. It's kind of goes back to to the. I don't know. I I think it harkens back a little bit to Drew Gooden. Oh, some no. of the things that he, some of the things How that he did, did with his beard up on this pod. I should have known, Kayla. <laughs> it had to happen. You have to bleep that out now. <laughs> that is probably the best comp, though. I mean, I think Javale. I mean, you, you're talking. I think it was the end of his Cavs tenure. He had. I think it was actually on NBA Live. Like, if you, I remember, if you play like NBA Live 08, one of the hairstyle options if you create a player was just called the Patch, uh, which was a nice little uh, hat tip to Drew Gooden. But I think this somehow might be worse than that. Yeah, I, I really don't know how to put into words what he's got going there. And, you know, Schroeder's old patch, you know, that was a request of his mother. And, you know, he's stuck with it ever since. So, you know, when, when, you're, when you're doing what mom says, I think you're doing okay. That's, that's really the ultimate trump card. Like, there's no way JaVale McGee's mom told him to do whatever he did to the back of his head. Absolutely not, no. <laughs> okay, well, we'll end on that high note. Uh, KL, thanks for taking the time uh, out of your busy schedule to chat with us. Uh, maybe we'll have you back on later in the season. Thank you.